Thanks for listening to the audio of 717 Church. This is a place where we continually strive to worship Jesus as the King with our lives, wreck our personal kingdoms to build His kingdom, and live out God's Word in the way that we interact with others. For more information, please visit 717.church. Hey, well, good morning, 717 Church. We're thankful that you are here once again. If we haven't met, my name is Rick. Um, I get the privilege and honor of serving in leadership here as one of the elders and with uh, uh, Pastor Jared and his family being away this week on a little summer family vacation. He asked me to share God's Word today, which is always an honor and a privilege. So here's how I want to start off this morning. I want to start this morning by just putting a thought in your mind. So I want you to imagine that they're right there in that opening where you walked in, my left, your right, you entered this room through those doors, all of a sudden, in walks Jesus Christ. So like, just imagine today, this Sunday, Jesus walks through those doors And so what would happen? Well, immediately we give him the microphone because he's Jesus and he deserves it and I don't even need to be here. So imagine that he walks in, we give him the mic and here's what he has to say. He says, uh, so church, I want you to mark your calendars one year from today, I'm coming back. So again, just imagine he says one year from today, July 16th, 2024, you can count on it. I'm coming back. So if Jesus would say that to us in person today, what do you think he would do? What what would change? What would you start doing? Or what would you maybe stop doing? Um, what would rise to the top of your priority list? So what would change? I I wonder if some of us, everything would change. I wonder that for some of us, you would finally go all in for Jesus, or you'd maybe finally reconcile that broken relationship, or you'd finally begin to take steps towards freedom from sin, or maybe you'd share your faith with that person that that doesn't know the Lord. I would imagine that for some of us, so much would change. But if you were to look at the way that we live now, like we live as if Jesus is coming back someday, but it definitely won't be today. Like, we live with the assumption that he is coming back, but it's going to be someday, like like far away. But certainly it's not going to be today. But here's the reality, church. We have no clue as to when Jesus is coming back. The scriptures are clear that we don't know the time or the day. In fact, Jesus doesn't even know it. It says, uh, God the Father will tell him when it's time. Um, but as we step back into the book of First Peter today, Peter's message to us is to live like the end is near. And that, that's what his point is. Live as if Jesus is coming back soon. Because when you live like the end is near, it changes things. So how about it, parents? It's mid-July now. Uh, summer break is coming to an end. So like, hang on, mom and dad. School will be starting again soon before we know it. You are going to make it. Like, Live like the end is near these last few weeks of summer. Um, this is Peter's message to us today. We want to be a people here at 717 that live with urgency, that live like with a sense that Jesus is coming back someday. 
It might not be far away. In fact, it could be today. We want to live with the end in mind. So if you have your Bibles open, hopefully by now, the First Peter chapter 4, we've heard some passages read already, and we're going to look all through these first 11 verses in chapter 4. And listen, this isn't a message of like getting out your charts and timelines and analyzing everything in the world. This isn't a message about going into hibernation or getting your apocalypse kit ready. Like This is not what this is about. We want to live like the end is near, but here's what this is. This message is about when Jesus comes back, that you being found faithful. So as we look at this text, we're going to look at five ways to live like the end is near. I know five. It's going to go quick, I promise. But here's the first one. So treasure God's will like the end is near. Like if there's some chance that Jesus is coming back this year, then treasure his will. So what did Peter say? Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's why we're saying treasure God's will. You have to understand. So Peter, he is writing to a bunch of Christians who are being canceled in their culture. Does that sound familiar now? So they're being canceled. They are no longer willing to do what everyone else is doing, and they're getting canceled. And Peter's saying, like, look, guys, Jesus Christ is your example. When, when Jesus came to the earth, what was he bent on? When he came to the earth, he was bent on accomplishing the will of his Father, That's why we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed and arrested. And what was he praying? Luke chapter 22, verse 42, it reads this, Father, this is Jesus talking, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ came to accomplish the will of the Father. And what was the Father's will? So Isaiah 53 tells us that it was the will of God to crush the Son. So when Jesus went to the cross, he was adoring the wrath of God. He was making the impossible possible. He was making a way when there was no other way for a sinful, unrighteous, unholy, imperfect people such as you and me to be made right. We were to be made into people who will spend all of eternity with a sinless, perfect, holy, and righteous God. And the will came through suffering. So Peter is writing to his friends, make a decision. Like he's saying, draw a line in the sand. Even if it's going to mean suffering, even if people are going to be looking at you and canceling you for doing what they're not doing, make a decision that you will live today and the rest of your life as a a not my will, but your be done life. And so that's the encouragement. You want to live like the end is near, then begin to resolve and say, God, today, not my will, but yours be done. And so I want to illustrate that maybe this way. So I wanted to bring two dogs into church with me today. All right. Actually, I brought them with me. Here they are on the screen. You can see them behind me on the left there. That is Peyton. That is Ginger and I's dog. He is a mini golden doodle. 
and you can tell by his tongue hanging out he is super go lucky just everybody's friend kind of a dog right and then the dog beside him there that is uh, a canine police officer dog his name is Sarge. He is all business. So if the police officer owner of Sarge and myself were standing up here in front and our two dogs were in the back of the middle aisle right there and I wanted to call them forward, we're each taking turns to call them forward. Um, but here's the deal. When we do call them forward, you also, everybody in the audience can also call them. You can, you can just call their name. No, the only rule is you can't touch them, all right? But you can call them, bring them over, pet them. Nope, I said no touching. Just call them over, all right? And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to call Peyton. Hey, come on, buddy. Peyton, come here, buddy. Come here. And, and why is it that we like change our voices when we're talking to our dogs? It's weird, isn't it? But we do. But Peyton, come on. Come on, Peyton, here, here, buddy. And all of a sudden, you all too, all, everybody's chiming in, all hundred some of you. Hey, Peyton, come here. Hey, look at this. Look at this. And here's what Peyton's going to do, because I know him. He's not going to want to miss out on anything. And so right there, Robin's on the end. He's going to want to go over. He's going to say hi to you. His, his tail will be wagging. He'll, he'll be like, want to come lick you. And you can't touch him, but he'll want to definitely touch you. Yeah, he's going to come over. He, because we're an all family church service, He's going to see some of the kids' toys or puzzles over there, some bright eye. He's going to go over and check that out, and he's going to come over this way. And he'll eventually, and again, he'll hear me, he'll hear my voice, he'll eventually make it up to me, um, and all will be good. That's what Peyton will do. Here's what Sarge would do. So the police officer says, Sarge, sit, and he will sit, all business, super serious, and then he will, with one word, say, come. And all of a sudden, everybody else, just like you did with Peyton, hey, Sarge, come here. Hey, buddy, look at this. Come here, look at this. And here's what Sarge would do. He would get on all fours, kind of like an army crawl, and he would just crawl right down the middle of the aisle, creeping towards the officer. Why would he do that versus what Peyton would probably do with me? Because he has his mind set to accomplish the will of his master. He has, that's what his mind is set on. And so that's what it means to live like the end is near, not my will, but your will be done. And what does Peter say when you do that? He says, you will have ceased from sin, it says in that verse. Does that mean you will live a perfect life? No, it just means that you are committed to suffering in this world, meaning you are willing to be ostracized for not doing what the rest of the world is doing. You have, you have made a commitment to God that is far stronger than you could ever make to sin, and the result will be a holy life. So if you want to live like the end is near, then first treasure God's will and live a not my will, but yours be done life. Here's number two. Endure opposition like the end is near. So here's the reality. When you treasure God's will and you begin to put sin to death, people will not understand. They won't. People will not understand why you refuse to go out to an adult club with the rest of the fellows when you're out on travel business uh, away from here. They, they won't get it. People will not understand why you believe marriage is for one man and for one woman. People will not understand why you would do the hard work and you would choose to go to counseling to restore and rebuild your marriage rather than just be done because that's way easier 
They just don't get that these days. People will not understand why you won't overpromise to potential clients just to win their business. Or how about this student? Schools are getting ready to start up. Students, people won't understand. Your fellow peers and students won't understand in the lunchroom or the locker room when that new kid that just is brand new is getting um, trying to be figured out and they're laughing and poking some fun. And they won't understand why you won't engage into that laughing and, and making fun of that new person. They, they won't understand that. They won't understand why you refuse to gossip about other people. Peter speaks to this in verse 4. It says, with respect to this, with respect to what? With respect to not engaging in sinful activity with the rest of the world. It says they, which is an unbelieving world, they are surprised. And that word surprise means to think it strange. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. That word malign means they heap abuse upon a person. So Peter is speaking into these readers' lives because they are, they are wildly misunderstood. Listen to this, church. You will be misunderstood if you choose to go all in with Jesus. And Peter speaks to it in verse 5, like, like just in case you're tempted, like you're tempted to go back, like maybe you have one foot in the world and one foot in with Jesus. Peter says in verse five, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And what's his point here? So Peter is saying, hey, you Christians, you might feel like you're on the outside of society, like you're being ostracized for your faith, but just so you know, the people who feel like they're on the inside of society now one day stand before Jesus, and they will have to give an account to Jesus. And the text says that he's ready. He's ready to judge the living and the dead. And, and it just continues to the point us towards the thought of, hey, the end is near. I'm not sure when it is, but it is good and right to live like the day is coming where those that don't know Jesus will have to stand in God's courtroom and give an account. And here's the deal. When they stand before him, when they see Jesus for who he really is, here's what they will have to remember as Christians. Here's what we get to remember as Christians. So the lives that we live, the ones that unbelievers look at as strange in that moment, will seem like the sanest things in all the world. They, when they see Jesus, will make perfect sense. Everything that they see will make perfect sense. Uh, a short-term gratification will lead to one day shame and regret. It is not worth it. So stay strong, endure opposition. So verse 6, Peter goes on, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. Now, that's an interesting thing to say. How is the gospel preached to dead people? So what Peter is referring to is Christians who believe the gospel but had died. The reason he's saying this is that unbelievers would look and say, see, there's, there's why is the, really the point? What's the benefit to Christianity? Because Christians die just like everyone else. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does, the passage says. Peter's point is this. Listen, guys, take heart. Endure opposition. Don't lose hope. Make a decision. Draw a line in the sand. Set your gaze on Jesus. Live according to his will. Why? 
Because when we all die, and we will, we will all die one day, but for those of us who know Jesus, listen, death is the beginning of the life that we've been longing for. Death is just the gateway to a paradise. It's the doorway to eternal life with God, beholding His glory and experience in the fullness of joy in His presence. So let me explain it like this. When heaven is waiting, then life on earth is a taste of hell. But when hell is waiting, then life on earth is a taste of heaven. Listen, as believers, church, as believers, we can endure a taste of hell knowing we will feast for all of eternity on the beauty and the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. But if hell is what's waiting for us, then you have to squeeze every single drop of heaven you can during this life on earth because this is the best it's going to get. And listen, if you do not know Jesus, the invitation is today to come to know him to taste and see that He is good, to surrender your life to Him, to turn from your sin, to turn towards Him, experience complete forgiveness, and walk in the newness of life. And if you do already have a relationship with Jesus, the message is endure, because when death comes, we will all experience a monumental trade-up. Number three. So number three point is this, pray like the end is near. So verse 7 says this, the end of all things is at hand. There it is. Therefore. So how do we live in light of the end? It says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And this is interesting. Here it is. For the sake of your prayers. And the picture here is someone who is intoxicated. Because when you're intoxicated, you can't make sense of reality. Your understanding of reality, it's distorted. You can't see clearly. You can't think clearly. And Peter's point is this. Hey, sober up here. Sober up and see reality clearly. That the end is near. Jesus will come back. And because he will, live with crystal clarity. Allow that reality to shape what you do. So if you know Jesus is coming back soon, you know what you do? You pray. I heard this um, convicting question not long ago. Uh, I thought it was good. I want to ask you guys the same. I want to actually ask you a couple questions. But the first one is this. So if somehow God were to send you a notification right now, and he would send you a text, like all of our phones would start pinging somehow. He'd somehow let you know. He says this, hey, good news. I've decided to answer every single prayer that you've prayed over this last week. What would change? What would be impacted? (laughs) That might be a convicting question, uh, at least a clarifying question at best. Like It helps you to see what priority that prayer plays in your life. So if God were to say every prayer you prayed last week were being answered, would there be any prayers answered? And if there were, now that you have the clarity and reality, are those the prayers that you really want to be praying? And so here's the question I really want you to think about. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was coming back in one year from now, what prayers would you pray? Because I think if we knew that Jesus was coming back in 8,760 hours from now, I think prayer would become a top priority. 
because here's the deal. We would want to be completely synced up to his heart. We would beg God for things if one year from now he's coming back. So just think about that real quick. Take a moment, write it down on your paper or maybe open up your notes app, but what would be like one prayer that you would pray every day if you knew Jesus was coming back? Go ahead and write it down and take a minute for that. What would, it pray, what would your prayer be? So here's the deal. Listen, if that's, and, and again, take time to think that through and write that down. But if that's what you would pray, why not pray it every day? Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. So I know for me, here's what I wrote down. And I had more time to think about it, all right? I know that. But here's what I wrote down. I would beg God every day to save specific friends and family members. I would beg God every day for a revival in Lancaster County and to move through the churches that proclaim the gospel. I would beg God to hold me close, destroy any idols in my heart that would seem horrific in his presence. I would beg him to keep sin far from me and to strip away any desires, values, or priorities that would seem so out of place in heaven. That's what I would beg. And you, you might say, well, Rick, you're in church leadership. You're an elder. You're like, you don't pray those things every day? And I would say, I, I do to some degree, but not really. Like, I don't pray them with urgency. I don't pray them with daily consistency as if I knew Jesus was coming back. And that is convicting. This has been convicting for me. And I hope, I hope it's for you to ponder too. I'm, see, I'm living like Jesus is coming back someday, but it certainly won't be today. And so I want to encourage you, what would you pray? Why don't you start praying? So Martin Luther says this, the great reformer, he says, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. That is our business, church. That's what we do. Christians pray. Pray like the end is near. So here's the deal, too. By the way, if Jesus was coming back next year, I'd also pray that the Phillies win another World Series, the Broncos win the Super Bowl, and Penn State gets another national championship. So why not? I'm going to add them to my prayer list, too. <laughs> so here's number four. Number four is this, love like the end is near. So Peter says this in verse eight, above all. So he's like, basically, you should probably listen up in case you've been prioritizing things I'm writing to you, like above all, just move this one right to the top of your list. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, so what he's doing here, he's circling, he's underlining, he's highlighting, he's asking, like this is what comes above every single thing else. Love one another earnestly. So Peter clarifies too what type of love he's talking about. The love he's talking about is that covers a multitude of sin or love that endures wrongs. It's a love that doesn't give up when you're sinned against or you're wronged. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's a love that can move right through that. It can forgive. It can pursue reconciliation. So love like the end is near. So here's what I wanted to ask you to do. You don't have to, but I invite you to close your eyes because I want you to picture something. And sometimes when our eyes are closed, that picture can kind of become more clear. 
Here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture standing in heaven before the throne of God. You are seeing God in all of his glory. You're surrounded by countless number of people. You are worshiping God before his throne. So just imagine this. Imagine experiencing the fullness of joy. Your soul is satisfied in the presence like it never, ever has before. You look to your right, to your left. There are family members there are, that you're worshiping with God. There are, there are people brothers and sisters, just like you are. So there's this enjoyment of being together, but your greatest satisfaction is beholding the glory of God. Now, I want you to imagine looking around and seeing somebody and realizing that, listen, not everything is right between me and that in person. Uh-oh. Like, imagine feeling this abrupt halt in your worship. Imagine like out of place that would be that tension, that awkwardness that you would feel between you and that brother or sister uh, as you're standing before Christ in his throne. Because here's the deal. God would never allow that in his presence. So here's what I want you to do. Encourage you. Open your eyes. Listen, if there is anyone that you'll struggle with worshiping like that in heaven, then I want to encourage you to deal with the unresolved conflict now. Love like the end is near. Do not wait for heaven to resolve it. So Paul, in his writing in Romans, puts it this way. Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible. So that implies it's not always possible, but if possible, so as far as it depends on you, meaning that you do everything in your power. You can't control how the other person responds, only control what you do, Um. So as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We're to love like the end is near. And then finally, number five, serve the church like the end is near. Look what Peter says in verse nine. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, at the time, much like we're doing here at 717 on our non-gather weeks, they met in homes uh, in the early church there. So those sharing the gospel would meet up in homes, and he's saying, hey, don't get worn out hosting people. Don't get worn out by serving the church, by hosting the church in your home. Do it without grumbling. Verse 10 says this, listen, as each of you have received a gift, every Christian has received a gift, a spiritual gift, a gift that is spiritual from God that he entrusts you with when you trust him. Uh, We're not talking about natural gifts or natural talents. We're talking about supernatural gifts or talents. And the reason they're supernatural is that you weren't born with them. It's not something you just naturally develop. They become possible only when you put your trust in Jesus. Because when you put your trust in Jesus, Jesus puts his spirit inside of you. And so God now lives in you by the presence of his spirit. And the spirit God has given every single Christian at least one spiritual gift. And the text says this, each, as each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another. So this is clarifying. The spirit of God has given you a gift, but that gift is not for you to be used for you. That gift was given for you to serve others. So Peter says, as good stewards of God's varied grace, you're a steward. It's not your gift. You don't own the gift. You steward the gift. God cares what you do with the gift he's given. You have a responsibility to fulfill. So verse 11 says, 
some speak, some serve. And here's Peter's point in that verse. He says, his point is this, inside of you right now is a gift that has been given to build up and serve the church. Listen, so don't cheat the church. Don't only give some. Don't be like a casual or haphazard fan at a Penn State game. This is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about this passage. Don't be like this casual Penn State fan that comes and doesn't wear blue or white. Um, and for sure, don't wear red to a Penn State game. That's just, you just don't do that. Um, and even this casual fan, they may leave like in the third quarter when the game is tied um, because they just want to beat the crowd. Like, no, you're not a you're not a fan if you do that. Don't they don't chant back the Penn State after you hear the we are like you're just not all in. And Peter's point is this like hey, now is not the time to be casual at the church. Now is not the time to cheat the church. This is a place to invest in, to be all in. God cares deeply about what we do when we gather, and he has given you a gift that this body needs. And so God has given you a stewardship. You have a responsibility to identify your gift. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, here's, you can look at the screen. Here's what it says. Email info at 717.church. That's how you can connect with the church and the office. And we will give you resources. We will help you discover. We will help you identify what your gift is. Because identify your gift, figure out how to use it, how to steward your gift to the fullest extent. And here's the ultimate goal. Here's how Peter finishes this passage. It says this, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Listen, that's why 717 Church exists. It exists for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. It doesn't exist for us to feel really good about ourselves. It doesn't exist for people to say, hey, have you been to 717 yet? Like, I think it's a really great church. I like what's happening there. Good church. No, listen, 717 Church exists so people will leave here and say, have you met Jesus Christ? Because there's no one like him. Come, behold the beauty of Jesus. Or as we say it this way around here, we worship the King. That's why every Sunday gather, every single connect opportunity exists so that we can put Jesus Christ on display. And then Peter closes with this, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's it, folks. All the praise, all the glory belongs to him. All dominion belongs to him. In other words, he has the right to rule. And that's our hope here at 717, is that today, Jesus Christ would get all the praise that Jesus Christ would rule and reign. Because here's Here's the deal. Here's the concerning thing. The concerning thing is that many of you are going to leave here, you're going to get into the car, and you know what the question is you're going to ask your spouse or maybe the person you came with? Here's what's going to here's what you're going to ask. So what do you think? And that is such a consumeristic question. So what you're implying is, did you get anything out of today? Did you like the music today? Did you like that kids moment what they really did there? Did you like the message? And listen, that is the wrong question to be asking. 
the right question for you to ask yourself is this. Did Jesus get all the glory and dominion in my life today? When I came to church, did Jesus get all the praise? Did Jesus Christ rule and reign in my heart as I worshiped today? And then you should, you should ask the question of the church collectively. Did Jesus Christ get the praise? Did our King rule and reign at 717 Church today? That, listen, that's again, that's why we exist. Now is not the time to be casual part of the church. Serve the church as the end is near. So in this passage, again, treasure God's will, endure opposition, pray, love, and serve the church like the end is near. Because here's the reality. We, again, don't have the luxury of Jesus walking through those doors and saying, hey, 717 Church, listen, mark your calendars. July 16, 2024, I'm coming back. We don't have that luxury. But he is coming back one day. But someday is going to become today. And some generation is going to be wrong. Every generation till now has said one day Jesus is coming back, but some generation has to be wrong. And ultimately, a day will come when it will be a true statement. Today is the day that Christ is coming back. So church, listen, may we not be the generation that is wrong. May we live today and every day as if the end is near. Live like the end is near. That's our challenge from Peter today in this passage. Let's close in prayer. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this community. We hope that today's message helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and live out what His Word is calling you to. Hit the subscribe button below to follow us, share with a friend, or leave a review. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at 717.church.